Well, you know what they say about being top of the league, Rich. I, I've forgotten what they say, but it, but it's <laughs> but it's really nice. This is just the start to every yeah, single is, episode this week until we stop being top I, of the I league. I think we should just yeah. do it I mean, all season. Fair, Fingers crossed. Yeah, until Fingers it crossed. stops. Yeah, yeah, I mean, what have we learned from watching Manchester United most of the last 10 years? Enjoy the good times when they are here. And indeed, good times are currently here. Well, to this week's episode of the Red Voices podcast. Pleasure to have you here with us, with me, you and Lennox, and him, Richard Kant, to dissect two games for Manchester United men and a disappointing defeat for Manchester United women early on this week. But before we get to all that, Richard, darling, yes. how are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm not bad, actually. Well, I'm, I'm tired after that, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not bad. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. I mean, again, Manchester United games are seemingly more stressful uh, levels of entertainment over a course of several hours than they perhaps need to be at this stage in my life. Mm. But at the same time, what are you going to do? You know, top night win. We now hit the halfway point, at least for our season anyway. Obviously, not everyone's reached that magical 19 games landmark. But we're now halfway through the season and we're top, which is odd. And I'm enjoying it, and I'm going to look at the top of the table for the next several days because we don't play again for another week, and appreciate that for what it is. It's yeah, nice. I mean, I think was, I think Darren Richmond said on Twitter, didn't he, that um, he'd forgotten how he'd forgotten how stressful it was when every game counted, mm. and, and he's right. I mean, <clears throat> one of the one of the most stressful seasons I've ever had was I think 2007, and no, 2008-9 when when we were in that epic title race with Liverpool, and uh, I, I can remember watching the the uh, Champions League final that season and just been absolutely exhausted and almost like glad the season had ended because I was just knackered um, yeah. and it we haven't really had that have we we've had we've had so, such a long period where the majority of our games haven't really felt that important well, I think that's partly due due to, as we've mentioned so many times, the chaos of this season, the fact that there's such intense focus on where the title race could go, who's involved in it, that we're only reaching the halfway point of the season this week, and there's already been such an intense focus on it, hasn't there? Mm. And I think that's extra tiring when you consider how many games a week we're playing. But you're right, you know, unfortunately, as cliched as it is, they're all big games. You know, we play Sheffield United next week at home, and, you know, ideally, you've got to say United, if they've got any real machinations of actually going for this Premier League title they really have to be winning games like that but before we get to that shall we talk about another deeply disappointing job they didn't deliver on any of the hype and spectacle that we knew it wouldn't to be honest but anyway a nil-nil draw at Anfield in a game I came away from thinking that felt like more of a missed opportunity than a well-earned point in a way didn't it it did I'm kind of torn on it I, I don't ever recall I don't think in my lifetime United have have gone to Anfield and and actually put really put Liverpool away I can't I can't recall once we've had there were a couple of three ones at the sort of early to mid 90s but but we haven't really given them a hammering so I don't think we ever we can ever expect an incredible performance from United Anfield or an incredible game and I think it has to be in the context of whilst this Liverpool team is clearly not anywhere near the, the standard it was at last season it still hasn't they still haven't lost a home game since 2018 and they haven't hadn't not scored a goal since 2018 as well uh, at home. So it felt like a missed opportunity because United probably finished the better team and had the two best chances of the game. I'd say, and that mm. you know if, it, it felt like if we'd taken those chances, we could have um, we could have you know done a bit of a smash and grab. But in terms of in terms of tactically and the way the way the game panned out, I don't think we can be too unhappy with it. And I think it was a blow psychologically for Liverpool as well because. From their perspective, they've suddenly they're not what they were. They're, they're struggling for confidence anyway. They've seen um, United suddenly come out of nowhere to be a challenger again, and they 
they really needed to put down a marker and say, you know, you're not at our level yet. And what we, what really happened was that we United largely had the measure of them. Hmm. I think I kind of file that game as alongside the recent Leicester draw in the sense that that was a game initially prior to the match. You say, if we get a draw out of this, that's not a bad result. And then you mm. watch the way the game ebbed and flowed and the chances that we created. And you you say, arguably, the way that game went, we probably should have won it. And we're disappointed not to have taken three points. I think... Yeah. In a way, if we look at what it says about Liverpool at the moment, you're obviously correct in the sense that they don't look anywhere near the lethal side that they were 12 months ago, but they're not able to grind out results in the same way that they've been able to do the last couple of seasons, in particular when they yeah. haven't been at their free-flowing best. And I think that was as obvious as it's ever been in the sense that they didn't really create any massive clear-cut opportunities. I think there was one cross in the second half that Maguire cut out. But other than that, apart from one long-range shot by Thiago that was a bit of a camera save from De Gea, uh, I don't necessarily feel like they threatened and got that close to scoring. I don't feel like they carved us up anywhere near the amount they've done in previous visits to Anfield. And I think that said a lot about where they currently are. That's three league games in a row where they haven't scored a goal. And you mentioned there, obviously, it's it's no mean feat to try and keep this Liverpool side, who, which has obviously still got a lot of attacking talent, quiet for a whole 90 minutes and not, mm. concede, not concede a decent chance, let alone a goal. Yeah, yeah. Our first half hour was a bit hairy. United didn't start well they'd obviously just had the intention of sort of keeping it tight for the for the first period of the game letting Liverpool kind of play themselves out Firmino had a couple of chances where if if that's Harry Kane I think he probably scores there was one particularly where he got the ball maybe sort of 14 or 15 yards from goal pretty central and he just managed he just basically sort of scuffed it to straight down to down to Hayes throat I think a, a, a more confident um striker probably scores that but once we'd once we'd kind of ridden that storm and actually got foothold in the game which happened towards the end of the first half it was you know United then were probably the more proactive and more dangerous team and what what you essentially had I think for large portions of the game were two teams who were both scared of each other's counter-attacking um, <laughs> yeah it, that was essentially it wasn't it so so neither side wanted to really commit forward too much or sit back too much. So it was imperative on both of them to win it. For, you know, for the first time in a while, we've gone away to a sort of top of the table or near the top of the table team and almost felt like equals, which which really hasn't been the case for, for quite some time. You know, we've, we've pulled off wins at City and, and wherever else, but they felt like real surprises. It's almost we surprised them. But but this one going into it, it really felt like, you know, we can go into, the, into this as... as as equals and possibly hmm. betters. You know, as you say, the, the context of the game, particularly the Pogba shot at, towards the end, and the Fernandez, Fernandez one way um, turned the goalwards from, from Shaw's uh, pullback that, that Alisson made the save. Those two chances left us thinking we could have won it, but to, to come out with nil-nil. I, I, any game at Anfield, I would take a draw every year. And anything, anything more is a big bonus. Sure, sure. I mean, yeah, you know, the only thing you can say about it, I guess, is it's given City an opportunity to go ahead of us if they win that game in hand. But by that same token, the, the top of the table is such an anomaly at the minute in terms of how it's going to ebb and flow, how it's going to change from game to game. It, 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 but three separate changes in the leader of the Premier League in the last 24 hours. So mm. how as long as you're there or thereabouts consistently uh, maybe we're putting too much stock on being dead first at the moment so that's I guess the only annoyance there and 
I think great save from Allison for the Fernandez chance that you mentioned there from the pullback on Shaw. Fernandez was in an excellent position for that, and he had a pretty quiet game. And we'll talk about our creative players in a little while. I think for the Pogba chance, maybe just rushes it a little bit he's got a bit more time than that to compose and pick his spot mm. and if he is firing that across Allison into the uh, far left corner I think that's going in but otherwise it, it's just it, it's a decent powerful shot but it's straight at him yeah. and uh, that was essentially the chance wasn't it and it's difficult I mean obviously we, we can talk about as much as we like the fact that these games rarely deliver when was the last time we actually had a genuinely exciting United Liverpool game let alone Anfield it has been some time one that was good a watch for both sides and the neutral yeah um yeah and getting away from Anfield with a point in the circumstances not the worst result and I still think that it says more about where Liverpool are and their struggles than it does potentially about United I think you saw a route there as we said prior to the game when we were talking about this last week you saw a route there for United to win it and maybe five times out of ten we get a result with better finishing in those sort of circumstances because he kept Liverpool very quiet and I think defensively we did a decent job you know even Lindelof I think there were a couple of issues first half in particular where Fred, sorry, not Fred, uh, Eric Bailly's quicker reactions help us out in certain situations where Liverpool were finding a bit of space. But then again, Lindelof was pretty useful in the second half in the sense that he cut out several different and dangerous uh, attacks in the sense just of being able to be in the right place at the right time. And then, you know, mm-hmm. Bailly comes in tonight. We'll talk a little bit about that. I think the bigger concern going into, uh, well, coming out of that game was perhaps just how our lack of sharpness in passing and in particular from our top creative players just wasn't there in that game and I think that spoke more to the likes of Fernandez and Rashford looking like they were a bit mentally burnt out and I guess do you think that is partly down to the creative pressure that is on the two of them to really produce big moments and goals and assists etc because it seemed like even simple passes and correct decisions you know the Rashford chance when he's running with Cavani to his left is the big one where he just takes the wrong option he's got two passes on and he just goes down a channel and gets cut out they're both I mean we've we've spoken about Fernandes before they're both players who do a lot badly in matches but still produce big moments on a relatively regular basis however I think there's, the way they've differed so far in the last year or so is that the, the Rashford usually is a, has delivered or is able to deliver in big games, and we, we talked about uh, talked about this a bit on Twitter the other night. But Fernandez, he he had a good game in the City the two 0 City win last season, but so far he hasn't been the same force in big against big top big sort of top four, five, six sides as he has against the rest. And there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that per se, but I think that what it, it's kind of twofold. One, there's clearly more tactical discipline required of him when we're when we're going away from home or playing against against the bigger sides. He can't just, you know, sit behind the striker and, and, and not, you know, get back into shape. He has to play more as a kind of number eight than a number ten. And I think the other one is that as we've seen, he gives away the ball an awful lot because he what everything he does he does it quickly and in games against sort of lower end sides or, or sort of average Premier League sides he's probably going to get in positions where he can do real damage 10 12 maybe even 15 times a match against a top side it's probably going to happen twice two or three times at the most and if you're you know if if kind of a I don't know seventy percent of your your first time passes or the things you try don't come off, then 
you're really looking at having to produce one single moment to decide that kind of game, and he hasn't really done that in those in those big games. I mean, it's you know it's hard to, it's hard to criticize Fernandez as a as a whole, but he hasn't quite shown up in the in the big games yet. And I think it, it, it's a part. It's those two different things. It's one that 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 he is quite wasteful, so he doesn't get the same number of opportunities, and just he has to be more tactically disciplined. I mean, we're going to talk about tactical discipline. The one moment that had me absolutely screaming was that no-look flick in the second half in the middle of the pitch tonight, which was a crime. It yeah. wound me up so much. I mean, at the very least, he went back and got the ball, so that was nice of him to do that. But yeah, man's got to be more careful. Um, well, especially in the centre of the park anyway, maybe not yeah. going forward. You know, you, there are good places to lose the ball, better places to lose the ball, and there are terrible ones, put it that way. Um, I guess there's not too much more to pull out from that. You know, I, I think it, it's not a bad point given the circumstances. And, you know, I think Liverpool have got a big task coming up tomorrow night against Burnley, and we'll see how that pans out. But it wouldn't shock me if they drop more points. They're really struggling for fluidity at the minute, and Burnley will be far less... Uh, I mean, they'll give away far less space than we did, especially in that first half. You know, we weren't closing down necessarily quickly enough, but even then Liverpool couldn't quite seem to find the spark. Mm. Anyway, moving on to uh, the game that played before that on Sunday afternoon was Manchester United visiting the home of the Women's Super League champions Chelsea. A really disappointing result in the context of how we lost it, unfortunately. Uh, it was another crazy start in the sense that both teams going at it hammer and tongs. Kristen Press had an excellent opportunity to uh, score early on, but Kirsty Hansen's pass was just a little bit short after, I think it was Harper passed it straight out to her from the early offing. And Chelsea were having a lot of joy in the first half hour because United were playing so gung-ho and giving the ball away so easily in midfield. that I, mean, I think Sam Kerr had about three or four really decent chances in that first sort of 20 minutes and could have scored a hat-trick. Thankfully, the finishing was wayward. But Benilla Harder scored from a pretty uh, typically chaotic United corner and took the lead. And it took a while for United really to respond to that. In the second half, we were definitely pinning them back and Chelsea weren't really creating at all. And... I think it was just the fact that Kristen Press, I mean, it was it was raised eyebrows regardless, considering that Kristen Press hadn't started a game since November, I think I've worked it out as. And to come into a game of this magnitude completely sort of undercooked wasn't great indeed. And I think it spoke to more of a problem that Press seemingly has had during her time in the Women's Super League in the sense that we've seen her consistently give the defender a chance to get the ball back in tight situations. I think maybe she just wants an extra split second of space that she's just not going to get in this league that perhaps she's been used to elsewhere. And that was particularly apparent in the game on Sunday. And it was a real shame because you can see the quality in the class that Press has got in spades. You know, that's never been in doubt. I think it was just a shame that we didn't quite get the performance that perhaps we may have needed in that situation. Lauren James came on not long after that in the second half and scored an absolutely superb solo goal, curled it into the bottom corner, and United looked like they could actually go on and get something out of this. Chelsea hadn't really threatened, but it took one long ball that was awfully defended by both Millie Turner and Amy Turner. Millie Turner's looking, it comes over her shoulder, she doesn't get ahead on it, and Amy Turner just can't get any recovery pace on Frank Kirby. He just steals in and scores one-on-one against Mary Earps. It's a really disappointing goal to concede, and United really didn't have much of a response after that. And the problem is that with Chelsea now top of the table on goal difference and with a game in hand, you, without wanting to be too fatalistic about it, because that's only 11 games into a 22-game season, it's, it's tricky now with Chelsea's quality and the skill and the ability that they have in that team. You're starting to wonder where are we going to be able to pick up points to make up that potential margin. And 
it's going to be really, really difficult for United now after that result. It wasn't necessarily a winner-take-all, but it was important that United came out of that game with the result. And to concede the second goal in such a disappointing way was a big blow. And I think it speaks about where the expectations are for United women at this stage, that we look at that game and come out of it with huge disappointment. This is a team that obviously they won the league by default to a certain extent but they're the best team in the country you know and we gave them a really good game again you know and it's not like we I don't think this team is a bunch of competition winners there's clear quality up and down mm. the team at the minute in, in the spine on the flanks as well it the, one of the big problems as well before we take a quick break was that United's game against Everton that was meant to happen the previous weekend was postponed due to coronavirus issues so United came into the biggest game of this season completely undercooked from the winter break so Chelsea mm. obviously had the advantage of having played Red in the previous week and were nice and set up for it considering all of that I think United did well but I do wonder how telling that is going to be by the time we get to the end of the season it feels like it feels like there are parallels between the the first team and the women's team really both kind of involved in a title race that we possibly thought might be beyond them this season to the you know improved by a really significant degree but but we're just not quite sure that they're quite ready yet and maybe we'll prove wrong and it'll be a really nice surprise in, on both fronts um but yeah I think I think you're right in, in what you say and I think the, the competition at the top between the top four teams there's so much talent between the four of them aren't there that you know it's and also and, and the, the the quality gap to the rest means that it's very difficult to see those other teams dropping too many points elsewhere so games like this kind of really matter yeah i mean arsenal dropped points again at the weekend mm. let's have a look i think they drew one all with reading and that was a team that we recently beat not long ago and chelsea mm. beat five nil last mm. weekend so so the previous weekend and we will be entertaining birmingham city this weekend with an attempt to try and deal with whatever we can i mean chelsea are going to be playing bristol city at the weekend as well and they're the they are the worst team in this league. So you would, and they ship a ton of goals regardless of who they're playing. So you'd expect that to be an absolute walkover, which will just even further strengthen that goal difference. But there we go. You know, I mean, it, it still speaks a lot about how well Casey Stoney has done uh, with this team that second year in the Women's Super League. And we're already talking about them being involved in the title picture. And I don't think this is the end for the title race at all. I just think this is potentially a decisive blow considering the quality Chelsea have got. Mm. But we'll see. Anyway, time for a quick break. We have a small favour to ask, friends. If you're enjoying the show, please help spread the word. Leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, or any podcast app you use. It's a small thing that helps shows like ours to move up podcast rankings and generate more listeners. And it would be hugely appreciated. And we're back, Richard, to discuss the Fulham game. Now, uh, coming into this uh, match, having seen City somewhat fortuitously beat Aston Villa in a really tricky game at the Etihad... The uh, issue for United was basically just going to be how we could just get out of Craven Cottage with a win. So obviously going into the first five minutes and going down to a Lutman goal was perfect. Yeah, it felt like we kind of gone back in time, didn't it, to the to the, the period that really sort of ended with the, the Leipzig away game where we were just absolutely appalling in the first periods of games and we got out of that habit. And then you could see from the start, really, I mean, Wan-Bissaka was obviously... Um, obviously made made a couple of mistakes in those those early stages, and he just didn't seem to be awake. But he wasn't alone. United were just incredibly sloppy in that period, and Fulham really pressed us quite hard and, and looked like they could take advantage of, of areas of space. So going behind was was really disappointing. But you just know with this United team that particularly away from home, there's always a response of some of some description. 
it was a really poor goal to concede, but to actually come, you know, then turn around the game around again for the God knows how many times away from home um, was another sign that this this team's becoming a lot more mature. Um, and also, also the fact that again we can make changes, we can we can leave out Marcus Rashford, we can bring in Greenwood and and play Cavani and there's a and play Bailly instead of Lindelof. There's a, there's an awful lot more. Um, quality in the squad and this is another game where it sh- where it showed mm. and I think the interesting thing is you mentioned there in terms of the the fact that we can make several changes and still keep the level of the team high I you look at this game in the game against Burnley I'm not sure that they're our best performances of the season by a long shot no. but I think that the median level the base level of quality in the squad is that decent at the minute that you can afford to not have everyone fit and firing in all cylinders as long as someone creates a moment of magic if we're really struggling to break down a side right mm. in those games again at turf Moor and tonight at craven cottage it's been pogba who's come up with a big moment and you keep seeing this team set each other up and put itself into decent places and positions to get to reap those benefits which is great you know yeah. it, it was I, I guess the start was frustrating because you could see that united wanted the the time to sort of settle into it and Fulham just clearly didn't allow it you know they were pressing mm. so high up the pitch and again we know that United really struggled with that and they couldn't get the ball out and you know Wambasaka getting caught on the offside trap was really disappointing but I guess the fact that United responded relatively quickly you know it was what 20 minutes later that we equalized and that came after some well, a lot of possession and Fernandes hit the post with a great drive from outside the area you know that was his first big contribution and then he crosses for Ariola, I mean, it's a bad spill by the keeper, isn't it? And Cavani on hand, playing through the middle to tap home. Uh, fifth goal for him. He now has uh, outpaced notable Manchester United alumni, such as Angel Di Maria and Radamel Falcao for their one season at United. Yeah. So I think goals in his first four consecutive away games. Um, but the first game he's actually scored when starting tonight. Is that is that right? Yes, yes. And and a poacher's goal. United do not score enough poachers' goals. We don't score enough scrap, scruffy goals, and that's 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 something he's really given us. He's obviously given us experience. He's given us quality, but he's given us uh, a focal point in the box and a player who can who can do the scruffy things as well as as well as the more high quality things. And I mean, he should really have had another goal in the second half with the the header that that um Aurelio saved to his to his left but yeah it's wonderful being able to in the context of the last seven years being able to 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 rotate and actually bring a high quality player like Cavani off the bench and I know and I certainly I did criticized it at the time not not the fact that we signed Cavani but the fact that it seemed to be a bit last minute and and almost a, a um an afterthought having not got the other players we wanted but I don't think I don't think we could have hoped that it would have turned out any better than it has so far now I mean you would have thought that he's potentially got a chance to get to double figures before the end of the season right mm. you know considering that he didn't actually join us until what October so he's only really had three full months with us at this point mm. and you would imagine that if he keeps fit if uh, we keep presenting him with opportunities like that he'll hit double figures which is good especially for this team at the minute because there's an argument to say that the other three forward players around him, no one's really firing right now. You know, Rashford's look, as, as we said, Rashford looks a little bit shot mentally in terms of the fact that he's just not making the right decisions. 
Martial's another one who's really struggling and has struggled all season long, which is another conversation to have. And Mason Greenwood is having a pronounced uh, period and uh, suffering from second season syndrome, I think is the best way of putting it. But I I don't know what it is about the attack, but neither of those three look as confident as they did last season. And I guess there's various different reasons for that. I mean, I'm hesitant, especially when it comes to Martial, to draw sweeping conclusions and suggest that this is you know, we're reaching ultimatum position for him because I just don't think that's the case. You know, we Mm. saw him barely months ago have an excellent second half of the season. Even before that, in the last year in total, he was playing really good football and scoring some excellent goals that you could say he wasn't scoring previously. Like the diving header against Chelsea is an excellent example of him taking risks and getting on the end of crosses um, and deliveries that he wasn't doing before. I think I, I don't necessarily know what the answer to the question of how to get Martial's form back is, but I'm less worried in terms of the longer pit, the bigger picture, and the longer term than I am in terms of Martial than a lot of other people seem to be. Just because I, we know the quality's there, it does, it's not consistently there. I know that, and I think in the short term it is a problem that you've got the likes of Martial, Greenwood, and Rashford not clicking in that sense, and that is a worry. Longer term, I'm not quite so worried. I don't know about you. No, I mean, we've said it before, Martial is a confidence player. I mean, you know, Andy Cole was a confidence player. It, it, can, be, it can be fine, but you will get these long periods of uh, reduced productivity. Whereas we've got, as I said, we've got guys like Bruno and, and Rashford who, even if they're playing badly, still keep doing things, still make effective contributions in the game. They don't seem to, the heads don't go down. They don't seem to feel extra pressure on them if they've, if they've struggled a bit in the game to that point. Martial's clearly very different. And I think Didier Deschamps said this when he went away with the uh, the French team as well. He's clearly just not in a in a good moment in terms of his confidence. Even though even though even those couple of goals he scored in the last six weeks or so, you know, he you could see he was really happy to have scored, but he hasn't quite got that sharpness and that confidence back. The thing with the thing with Martial is that since he's been at United, there hasn't really been genuine competition for a place. And under Mourinho, Mourinho didn't start him quite a lot. But Martial got back in into the first team last year and kind of had the centre forward position as his own, and it, it feels like he's just in this this sort of confidence slump, and also he's under more pressure because Cavani's there, because Greenwood's come through, and and you know if he doesn't play well, he's not going to play. Now you want your players to be more like Bruno and Rashford, and I think that's that's Martial's biggest failing because I think he's got as much talent as as the both of them, but it's difficult to see where he goes from here in the short term I think he just needs to keep playing where we can play him and and, and get himself back into a bit of form and confidence yeah I mean the big problem with that in particular is that you can't keep playing Cavani three times a week he's 33 and Martial is going to have to step up at some point soon or we are really going to struggle with chance creation and goals through the middle right or him coming off the left but yeah longer term I guess as I said before I'm not quite as worried about that I mean I guess the bigger issues, I guess, if we're looking at the second half of that game tonight, I th- we were speaking about this before we started recording, but the last half hour, I think, gave me two things, big things to think about. And these aren't, you know, these are the things that we've discussed previously. But if we're talking about United's ability to go on and win the title, I thought we saw a big reason as to why we can in the shape of Pogba's goal and a big reason potentially why we won't. Uh, in the in the turn, in the way that we actually didn't really close that game out pretty well at all. Uh, so let's talk about the goal from Pogba. I mean, 
going into that second half, I mean, it was fantastic to get that goal 65 minutes because you just thought, well, this should really take the stress and the intensity of the game, of the game really, shouldn't it? Oh, well, that didn't work no. out. But I wasn't at that stage because Fulham were sat back so deep and because they hadn't necessarily made too much of a response since the equaliser. I didn't necessarily feel unduly worried. I still felt like it will still create chances. And we still made some half-decent opportunities in the first half. You know, Harry Maguire missing what has to go down as an absolute sitter with that free mm. header from the short corner, which was terrible. And that ha- that seems to be happening every other game at the minute. And it is a worry that he gets so much space. And Jermaine Genius was, you know, saying you can't give Maguire that much space from corners. I found myself raising my voice sardonically and saying you, can, uh, yeah. you kind of can can't you yeah. unfortunately because he's just not very good at directing the ball from those situations whether he's under pressure or not we saw that tonight mm-hmm. but anyway that Pogba goal I mean it it was an exquisite touch to pull down that uh punted clearance and Fulham just don't close him down do they and you see yeah. him making those calculations in his head he's got a full meter of space maybe even more around him and he just thinks yeah I'm going for it and on his weaker left foot that is always curling around Areola, and it's mm-hmm. just such an exquisite shot. Um, absolutely nothing. What a goal. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if the fact that it was on his left side is why he wasn't closed down quite as quickly. Um, I, just before we started recording, just listening to his interview afterwards, and he kind of said, you know, it's my left foot. I wasn't necessarily expecting it to go in, but but he's glad it did. You know, Pogba's in really terrific form at the moment. Probably the best sustained form since he arrived and I think it it says to me what we've sort of said all along in that he excelled in the Juventus team that was always probably always the best team in Italy at the time he was surrounded by really high class players and so the team structure was there the team was winning and he was able to go out and produce them produce moments produce moments of brilliance without having the pressure of kind of it all being on his shoulders which is what he's had for a large portion of his time at United it's really been Pogba Pogba score or Pogba create or we've got nothing and I think that that's weighed on him a lot but you're seeing now a guy who is suddenly surrounded by instead of being surrounded by Andreas Pereira and Dan James and whichever other cast of misfits Fellaini or whatever else he's now <laughs> you know there's now there's now um there's now Bruno Fernandes, there's now a far more mature Marcus Rashford, there's Greenwood, you know, out there to, to contribute as well. And there's, and and we've got sort of three midfielders that can play below him that are playing at a, a, a pretty good standard this season. So it feels a lot less like it's all up to him. And I think he's reveling in that, that um, freedom psychologically and also the freedom that he's getting at points at times in games to play further forward than he was earlier in the season when he was really being expected to play as one of those sort of two deeper line midfielders. And it's clear that Solskjaer's given him far more license during periods during games to, to roam forward and, and do some damage. And, and fortunately he is. Hmm. Well, you've got him and Bruno doing the dirty work as well if they give the ball away. You saw moments this evening where they gave the ball away in potentially awkward positions, but then went to win it back. And if you've got your creative players doing hard work like that, that's a big tick for Solskjaer in the sense that, I mean, we know Bruno's always going to do it, you know, to his own detriment. If he's absolutely knackered, he'll do it. For Pogba, I mean, there have been... (sighs) perhaps unjust criticisms of the way that he has gone about his work off the ball. 
we're not seeing that at the minute, are we? I think we're seeing him offer consistent performances in terms of his work on and off the ball for 90 minutes. There's still a worry for me in terms of how when he's pressed and when he is trying to shield the ball, how well he uses it in terms of how quickly he can pass it off or whether he just holds on to it like a touch too long. But that's a minor quibble at this stage, especially when he's scoring goals like that. And that's two big moments in the space of, what, a week that he's had? And he nailed them both. I think one of the things as well that Fulham did is, for a lot of that game, before we pushed him further upfield, Pogba was almost playing as the quarterback. And Fulham weren't putting pressure on him at all. So he was really just picking the ball up off the back four and spraying it around. And, and I think that ability to move the ball around contributed a lot to United being able to do damage later in the game because Fulham were looking knackered by half time, completely knackered just from chasing mm-hmm. the ball around. They weren't able to, or they weren't trying or able to get close to, to Pogba in that Pogba in that position in front of the back four. And and he just allowed us to move the ball very quickly from side to side and move move Fulham's players about. So I think mm. I think he was effective in both of his roles tonight. You know, in that in that deeper role, as, as really almost in a kind of Pirlo role, but then later in the game further forward. And that's kind of what we wanted to to see. I think he's needed a bit more freedom, and it's taken a while. I think it's taken this run and United to actually emerge as a, as a team that's challenging at the top that to give. Solskjaer the confidence to give Pogba more license to to get forward and do his thing and and it's good now it has because he's he's really taking advantage of that opportunity yeah I mean I, I, that also points to utilization of Fred a little bit tonight because yeah. for the first half I think United were able to get away with using Fred as that sort of sole central midfield pivot mm. and push Pogba and Fernandez a little bit further mm. forward the problems that that made during the second half, especially after we went ahead, was that Solskjaer just took way too long to make his substitutions, right? Yeah. You know, it was 25 minutes between the end of the game, best part of half an hour, actually, when we got round to the end of stoppage time. And I don't think Solskjaer made his until the 83rd minute. That no. needed to come 10 minutes earlier, if not sooner, in the sense that United were struggling to hold on to the ball. Yeah. And as we saw against Burnley, there was a lack of ability to just shut the game down, pass it about, and have a little bit of composure. In those sort of circumstances, United need to be able to close games down and not give away good chances to opposition teams because it is going to sting us. You know, it, It's such a basic critique to make of Solskjaer's managerial qualities, but it's, an, it's clear as day. You know, yeah. it, didn't, it took him too long to respond to that situation. Mm. And you saw Fred getting absolutely done by Ruben Loftus-Cheek about three times. He couldn't lay a glove on him. Mm. I mean, obviously, it's a bit of a size mismatch between the two of them. But regardless, you know, United needed some more, uh, just more energy in creative midfield. And also, you could see Wan-Bissaka and Martial were looking a little bit tired and leggy it was time to take some players off and Solskjaer just took too long to do it and I think by that point the game hadn't necessarily swung completely away from us you know we still had the opportunities to kind of attack a little bit more if we were a bit sharper going into the last sort of stages of that game but the ascendancy was with Fulham you know Mm. they were chucking a lot of balls into the box and you gotta say they were a little bit unlucky not to come away with a point just for the way that they created a couple of half decent opportunities in the end of that game you know I think it was uh, Lookman had another decent chance after being played through Sean couldn't cut the ball out and De Gea you know the shot wasn't fantastic but he was able to get down low to save it that deflection from Mitrovic off by my goodness it looked like it was in or looked like it was yeah. going to be handball that the fact that it would just bounce wide because there was such a like a shock in the players around it just seemed like any one of those two options could have happened before it actually gone out for a corner. And it mm. just, it shaves the post, doesn't it? It's so close to absolute disaster. It's remarkable. 
Yeah, I mean, we we allowed we allowed Fulham went, went with two players up front, and so obviously they were, they were pushing more moving forward as United were kind of regressing backwards, and we allowed them to to get the ball into the box either from set pieces or um, or just generally far far too much in those in those last kind of ten or fifteen minutes, and when you're when you're playing in around your penalty area or defending your penalty area that much and that deep, you can't you can't cover every eventuality. You can't cover every ricochet that you know the opposition is going to win a header or going to win the ball first and it's going to pinball around and you just you're just playing with with luck really. Um, and that's I mean that's that's one of one of the problems that that Spurs have had this season. You know we've seen them go a goal ahead and then as we saw with Mourinho United they then sit back and don't. Don't push on for the second, and if you're then defending your own penalty area for an hour or, or seventy minutes or whatever, something's going to happen that you can't control. And I think that was that was United's one moment. We largely defended pretty well in those last ten or fifteen minutes, but that was the one moment that we couldn't account for and we couldn't do anything about. Where it was just the gods who um, who were just about on our side. Hmm. Gust of wind at that exact moment Something in time. Something like that, yeah. Would have absolutely screwed us. Maybe there was a there was a counter gust of wind. Maybe someone is looking down on us and not frowning for once. Mm. Who knows? Yeah. But oh my, uh, that could have been a real uh, terrible end to the game, and uh, we we would have only had ourselves to blame. But you know, way it, we just about dealt with it, just and managed to get that two one win. The seventh time this season we've come from behind to win all the way from home, if memory serves correctly. Yeah. Which is mad considering our previous record was Ferguson's last season and we did that nine times. Mm. Um and we're probably gonna go over that total if we keep on going like this. But regardless, top of the league above City, above Leicester, above Liverpool and I guess we can kind of switch off and lead duty for another week. You know, we've got another game against Liverpool and, you know, we'll, we'll, a quick minute about that. And changes galore, right? You'll see Van der Beek, probably see Matter <laughs> Maybe start Rashford as he didn't play. Didn't play that much tonight. Yeah, bring in the changes and uh, uh, again, this is a game against Liverpool. You want to win it. You also need to be careful about what on earth, what on earth the state of the squad is going to be in after tonight. Considering yeah. it also, Solskjaer said this evening that they didn't even train today because of coronavirus restrictions. <clears throat> they couldn't yeah. find a place to train prior to the game, which is mad when you think about it. Yeah, and an extra tick in our box that we're actually able to get the result. But yeah, changes galore for the Liverpool game, we would hope. And only one more thing to cover before we end this week, Rich. The news that our dear Wayne Rooney has retired from football after taking up the full-time managerial position over at Derby County. Only about a couple of miles down the road from me. Anyway, I guess that sort of prompted another wave of nostalgia for Rooney's career at United, which didn't end in the nicest of circumstances, I guess, but... When you look at it in totality, I I think we'll seriously struggle to see a player as influential at United for perhaps decades to come. Yeah, he's definitely one one of the best players that United have had in in this era. Um, certainly in my in my lifetime, I'd probably put him in the say in, in in the top five. I reckon um, both in in terms of sort of talent and and influence and in terms of being an absolutely clutch player as well um you know one of united's best that people have disagreements as to whether he's he's a legend or not that some think that the the kind of two attempts to to leave uh, don't allow him that 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 moniker but i think he's certainly certainly one of the best best that i've seen at united and and I think as well, one of the, the players I've most enjoyed watching. He had everything. He didn't just have have the talent. He had the attitude as well. You know, it's absolutely. I don't, I don't think we've seen many 
players with an absolute, as absolute a drive to to win in any situation, in any game. Um, you know that 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 drive never stopped. His he, you know his work rate never stopped. He and he just and 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 for a player of his talent and profile, he was also willing to fit in wherever he was asked to. He he wasn't mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. he, he wasn't a prima donna. You know I can remember United playing at Liverpool and Rooney playing right wing in a in a kind of four four two and he'd play anywhere he was told to and just give it his absolute all and generally do a really good job of it as well. So you know maybe we'll never see his type again in terms of the fact that he's such a you know street footballer the talent and the attitude all all rolled into one you know he's a legendary united player for me but i can understand why some people don't don't particularly want to use that um that label for him well i guess the the legacy of rooney is a somewhat complicated one yeah, you know is. if you, if we're talking in absolutes then the 253 goals that he scored for us yeah the what is it 1 2 3 the five league titles the champions league the uh one fa cup i think it is i mean regardless you know he won the lot mm. at united and you do you don't win the full set by being with, without a certain degree of sacrifice, but not only that, without a high degree of quality. And I think there's a lot of interesting aspects to it. You know, we, we talk about Rooney's best seasons in terms of the two that he was most prolific. United won the League Cup in those two years in 09-10 uh, and then 11-12. Uh, he was at the fulcrum of the United attack. But ironically enough, the seasons where United were at their best in terms of their trophy-winning caliber under Ferguson were the ones where he did sacrifice a little bit more. Mm. And that that says it's so interesting that Rooney's best goal-scoring years were actually two of the most disappointing in terms of United winning championships or big titles. You know, they came so close to a really great result against Bayern Munich in that uh, 09-10 season, and he was injured at that stage. And then... You know, Berbatov and Hernandez pick up the baton in the next season, then we go and win the league and then lose to Barcelona in the Champions League final. And the following year after that, we lose to City, uh, we lose the title to City on goal difference. But Rooney is obviously the fulcrum of that attack. And it's just that sort of, that contrast is still difficult for me to wrap my head around because we know of Rooney's ability to score goals. And it's the fact that we're more successful when he wasn't at the pinpoint of our attack that is fascinating to me. And I guess the other thing is that we spend so much time comparing his exploits where he is now to Ronaldo, which is very unfair considering that Ronaldo is an absolute freak of a footballer and a man and a physical specimen. And Rooney was never going to be that player. You know, he started young and he burnt very brightly for a long period of time. And then when the decline happened, it happened pretty quickly um, and he, he was still able to obviously provide some nice moments in an Everton and DC United and Derby County shirt and still provide us with some nice moments in United shirt in his last couple of years and obviously the legacy is extra complicated by the fact that he wanted to leave and potentially go to City even though he had the gumption and the guts to stand up and say I don't like the way this club is running I'm not sure where we're going which he was right to do in some mm. cases he caught a lot of shit for it but he wasn't wrong in what he said he just went about it in a terrible way yeah, I, I'm not as critical of of players who want to leave or, or, or think they possibly want to leave a club because ultimately they've got one career and Rooney had done an awful lot with United at that point. And I think it's completely natural during their careers for any player who's had a long period at one club to actually think about whether they'd like to um, experience something else before they, before they retire or while they're still 
in their in their relative prime. Whilst it was a shock that he wanted to leave the first time, and it felt very very serious at the time because United weren't necessarily in the good place. They'd lost Ronaldo, they'd lost Tevez, hadn't been really been replaced, and Rooney was the one real <clears throat> genuine world class player any sort of prime years that we had left and you're thinking if Rooney goes where do we go from here um but in terms of me wanting to leave look I don't I don't really care you know they've got families they've got ambitions they've got people could feel like they're stuck in a rut or they want to experience something else and you just have to accept that and 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 either let them move on or let them think about it and then decide to stay and I'm sure the money helped um Rooney but (laughs) but but having said that you know had he gone to say he'd left at any point to go to Chelsea or even to City or wherever, you know, he was going to earn a fortune wherever he went. So it wasn't, you know, you can't really say that he enriched himself by staying at United and that's why that's why he did stay because he was going to be, a, he was already a rich, rich man and would be rich wherever he went to play football. Right, one Rooney moment. One Rooney moment, I think probably the overhead kick against City. But there are millions, aren't there? And there are so many. The, the, the Newcastle, maybe the Newcastle goal was the one that was peak Rooney, wasn't it? You know, he, he, the angry goal. Yeah, he played. He played with that anger, didn't he? He played with that that drive and that frustration if things weren't going his way, and that was part of what made him great, really. Um, and that just was, you know, it's a goal that I don't think any other Premier League player could have scored in the way that he scored it you know just it, it was it was kind of like the ultimate sort of street goal wasn't it you know he's, he's he's actually talking to the referee and he's just he's just wandering forward and he's in a half and he just sees a ball fall out of the sky and just thinks right I'm gonna yeah he's taking out his frustration on that poor poor ball yeah he did and I, you know I'm gonna leather this into orbit and um and he did and he, and he went top corner but if you, if Rooney's the player, definitely the player in my lifetime, where you, I, I looked at, he's had had scored the most goals that are incredibly memorable, the most sort of goals that make you gasp at the at the, at the quality or the uniqueness of them. You know, he scored more than once in his career from from his own half. I mean, the goal at the goal at West Ham was was ridiculous, where he lobbed Adrian from the from the halfway line. There are so many goals throughout his time at United that you just you just look at them and think, Jesus. Whereas whereas Ronaldo was a, a machine, an absolute machine and he could score types of goals. Rooney was the one he was he was kind of like the the a modern day sort of Roy Race, wasn't he? Um I think that's probably the best way you can you can say he's almost like his goals were from a cartoon strip. The amount of huge huge goals that Rooney scored in the United shirt is just unprecedented obviously obviously that's that's fresh for us though isn't it so it's Mm. easy to say that but at the same time you think back to you know the goals against City in the 4-3 game the header in the League Cup game the overhead kick the following season you think about goals at Anfield, one early on in his career, one later on. You know, he loved to score and perform in the big occasions. And you just, even if he didn't have his best performance, you were never found wanting for effort. And yeah. I, I think that's one thing that, regardless of how complicated some United fans might view his legacy, that's something that I think we can all agree on. But yeah, uh, fun to have a quick think about the wonder, the myriad in number of ways in which Wayne Rooney improved our lives over the course of the, what, 10, 11, 12 years he was at Manchester United. 
that was a fun decade plus anyway rich should we call it there for now and then reconvene after sheffield united another big game in the league and then the fa cup fourth round meeting with liverpool which is next is it the um is it the cup is the cup game sunday yeah 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 yeah. I, i i i'm I'm quite looking forward to that one now. It kind of feels like a like a low pressure or less pressure moment, doesn't it? You know, if we're, if we're mm. top of the league, it, it feels like it's almost a bonus a bonus competition. I'm quite intrigued as to how um, what what Klopp does because he's he's thrown the last few FA Cup campaigns, hasn't he, for for Liverpool by playing considerably weaker teams. Um, mm. And we are in a nice position where we've got. I think at the moment we've got with the, with their injuries, we've got a stronger squad than they have. So if he makes changes, I think the drop off will be greater. Well, we'll see how we get on. Anyway, Rich, pleasure as always. Absolutely. Take it, take it easy. We'll do. Well, I'll try my best anyway. And I hope the rest of you will also do too, Sue. So let's just confirm, as we have frequently done before, uh, you can always find Rich and myself and the podcast itself on Twitter. You can find Rich at Rich Red Voices, me at You and Like This, and the pod at Red Voices NUFC. The podcast itself can be found on Spotify, on the iTunes podcast app, and it can also be found on Stitcher and Acast. And any sort of following or any reviews or any subscriptions or any likes you can offer for those are always well worthwhile and certainly worth our time. So thank you very much. We'll be back next week, so take care of yourselves in the meantime. I hope you're all keeping well. Lots of love. Bye.